listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. This past Sunday, we kind of were talking about, again, um, just the cost of holiness. And again, not, not just the cost as it really kind of pertains to God and what God um, did in the cost of sending his only begotten son to earth, you know, to live and, and to, to die, um, you know, to secure our salvation, to secure our forgiveness as well as our righteousness and our holiness. But we also really were kind of looking at what is the cost to us? I mean, what does it cost us to walk in holiness um, before God? And, and again, we kind of focused on a portion of scripture there in Luke 14, you know, where Jesus kind of talks about, you know, if you want to, you know, walk in holiness, if you really want to be a disciple of Jesus, you know, it, it involves dying to self. That is a cost we bear. It is, you know, taking up our cross. Um, it's loving him more than anyone or anything else. And really, it involves us kind of counting the cost. What really is involved in this? Um, and especially when we're living in a world, you know, that is just filled with, you know, darkness, there's just temptations, <coughs> wickedness. And again, at the center of all of these costs that, that we uh, need to calculate in following Christ um, is the cross of Jesus Christ. Um, I mean, I love the song Jason chose um, you know, tonight, again, it, it's just, it brings us back to, this is really kind of the center of Christianity. Um, and I want you just to listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 6.14. He says, may it never be that I would boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So again, it, it's through the cross of Christ um, that he was crucified for us, and it's also that cross uh, that we are crucified to the world and to ourselves. Now, of anybody, I think we would all agree, if there was anybody that had the right to brag, uh, it would be the Apostle Paul. I mean, in his day, I mean, he was the greatest church planter. He was the greatest missionary, the greatest evangelist, greatest theologian. He was the greatest author. I mean, he wrote more books than any other author um, in the Bible, and almost one half of the New Testament was written by Paul. So if anybody had an occasion to boast or brag, it would have been the apostle Paul. But he says there in verse 14, he says, but may it never be. Some translations say, but God God forbid that I would boast in anything except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, 2,000 years ago, the cross was nothing to glory about. In fact, the cross in the days of Jesus and prior to that, it was grossly offensive to the three major cultures of Jesus and Paul's day. To the Romans, the cross was so despicable that Caesar, the orator and statesman who died in 43 BC, 
Listen to what he wrote. He said, even the mere word cross must remain far not only from the lips of the citizens of Rome, but also from their thoughts, their eyes, and their ears. To the Jews, uh, um, the crucifixion was the same as hanging. As a matter of fact, Deuteronomy 21, 23 says that he who is hanged is accursed of God. It, it was a statement that if you, were, if you were hung on a tree, you were cursed by God. Now to the Greeks, the cross was nonsense. And in Corinthians 1, 23, Paul said that the cross to the Greeks was foolishness. Some things never change, Right? I mean, we, we've got churches, you know, especially here in this country that suffer under what, you know, some people are identifying as the curse of the crossless Christianity, meaning I can have faith in God, I can live for God, but I don't need to die to self, I don't need to take up my cross, I don't need any cross. As a matter of fact, when we were uh, in the United Methodist Church, Janie and I, th there was often talk about, you know, when you talked about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, uh, when you talked about his death, I mean, there were people there that would refer to God as a child abuser. It was just so twisted. It's kind of how they viewed the, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. If you, if you really taught and believed that, you were basically kind of promoting God as some kind of a child abuser. And it, it was just really twisted. But, but again, that, that's, that kind of is in line with, with how others in, in previous generations have viewed the work of the cross. Um, so again, in pulpits all over the country, we're being told that, you know, man's number one problem is, you know, a lack of self-esteem. And listen to what our culture offers today. Safe spaces, places where you can go and, and not have to hear anything offensive or goes against maybe what you believe. We need gender-neutral names so people aren't offended. We need politically correct language. And all of this really is, again, is because we don't want to damage people's self-esteem as if that's their greatest need. Other men say man's problem is ignorance. And, and look at what our culture offers today. Oh, we're, we want tuition-free college. Others say man's problem is poverty. And, and what do we offer for that today? Oh, we need income equality. We need welfare. We need a raise in the minimum wage. And there's just all of these uh, solutions that we're trying to get to, to to address man's deepest needs. Well, the Bible says that man's deepest need is sin. His greatest problem is sin. And what he needs is salvation and transformation through the cross of Jesus Christ. So tonight, I just want to share with you three reasons why I believe we need to teach the cross, preach the cross, why we need to share the cross, uh, embrace the cross as a part of our walking in holiness before God. First, Paul tells us we are to glory in the person who died on the cross. Listen again to verse 14. Paul says, may it never be God forbid that I would boast in anything except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, understand, it is not the cross that made Christ so special. It is Christ that made the cross so incredible. Dr. Harry Rimmer was a great Christian scientist um, who lived many, many years ago, and he was lecturing uh, in a college one day, and 
he had a Q&A time with the uh, students where they were allowed to ask questions. And there was a young Jewish man who stood up and uh, he asked Dr. Rimmer, he said, what did Jesus Christ do that no one else ever did? And Dr. Rimmer replied and he said, I understand that you are Jewish. And he said, I assume that you kind of know the history of your people. And he said, you know that Titus and Pilate and the old Roman emperors, uh, they crucified some 30,000 young Jews. And the Jewish uh, student, you know, replied in affirmation and he said, that's correct. He said, there were about 30,000 young Jews who were put to death during that time. So Dr. Rimmer said, well, I'm going to name one of those Jews and you name another. And he said, I name Jesus Christ. Now, young man, he said, you name one of the other 30,000 whom they crucified. And that young student just stood there looking at Dr. Rimmer, and he said, I don't know the name of another one. Do you know why he couldn't remember the name out of 30,000? Do you know why we remember one name when we can't remember the other 29,999 names? Because Jesus Christ is the only one who died for our sins and was resurrected from the dead. It is the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus took the cross from a symbol of guilt and he transformed it into a symbol of glory, of victory. He transformed it from a beam of execution into a balm of salvation. I tell you, the cross of Jesus Christ, it is matchless. It is beyond compare. It is matchless in that his cross, it testifies, it speaks to, and it witnesses to his sovereign authority. It is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things is that it communicates and tells us is that he is our master. He served us by dying for us. That was his cost. But he died for us that we might be saved and serve him. That is our cost. The New Testament name, Jesus, many of you know, it, it is the uh, equivalent to the Old Testament name, Joshua. And that word in the Old Testament, Joshua, in the Hebrew, it means Jehovah is salvation. Every person crucified in history, every man who hung upon a cross, hung upon that cross as a sinner. Only Jesus Christ was crucified and hung on that cross as a savior. That is matchless. The cross of Jesus Christ is matchless in that it really testifies uh, of his sufficient authenticity. Again, it is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, again, that tells us he is the, the, the Messiah, what the Old Testament uh, predicted and foretold. The name Christ, it means anointed one. Every other man that was crucified, every other man that hung upon a cross was just a son of man. Jesus hung upon that cross. He was crucified as the Son of God. Again, making him uh, um, unique in that. 
All this simply means we could never know salvation. We could never have the hope of forgiveness of sin. We could never be free from the penalty of sin, which is death. We could never be released from the power of sin or the freedom from the presence of sin without the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, again, it is, it is the centerpiece of Christianity. There's no way out of hell. There's no way into heaven except through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ leads home. Second, we are to glory in the purpose declared by the cross. Peter said in Acts 2, 23, he said that Jesus was delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. That, that, that's one of those things that's hard to wrap your mind around. Again, God had some very, very specific purposes in mind when he sent Jesus to die upon that cross. Again, other religions like Islam, I mean, they look at this whole concept that, that, that God, who is far above, far removed, highly exalted above anyone and anything else, they find it revolting to think that God would, would take on human flesh and come among us as a human being. I mean, we, 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 we call that in theological terms, that's the ultimate humiliation of God, that God would, would take on human flesh and become like one of us, that God would come and he would live among human beings. And the ultimate, I mean, the ultimate humiliation was that God would die upon a cross. I mean, in other religions, especially Islam, they, they look at this and, and they're just aghast that we believe and that we teach um, that, that God would do this. Again, God had some very, very specific reasons uh, in mind when he sent Jesus to die on that cross. First of all, I talk about this all the time. The cross of Jesus Christ it magnifies, it amplifies the love of God. I mean, if you ever wonder, if you're, if you're ever curious, if you ever get lost in the thought, does God love me? I mean, if you ever question that, the Bible says simply look at the cross because it is the completest, it is the fullest, uh, it is the ultimate declaration that you are loved by God. So again, the cross, and through the cross, the love of God is magnified, it is amplified. Many times people will look at the newspaper, read magazines, listen to their you know, television, they see earthquakes, murders, rapes, you know, stabbings, killings, assassinations, bombing, thievery, and the like, and they say, where is the love of God? Where is God in this? Do you know why they can't find the love of God? They're looking in the wrong place. Wasn't there a song that used to go like looking for love in all the wrong places? Yeah. We're looking for the love of God in all of the places where the, where the love of God is not going to be found. The cross is all you need to know that no matter what else happens in the world. I mean, we, we talked about this a little bit on Sunday through that video you know, on November 9th, no matter who wins this election, God's love for you and I never changes. It's not like as if on, you know, November 9th that all of a sudden God loses control of the world. It's not going to happen. 
Regardless of who wins, God is still on the throne. God is still in control. God still loves you and I. And he has a plan and a purpose for our lives. And no election is going to sway that. No election is going to sidetrack that. Again, still go vote. You know, we want you to do that. We want you to get out and vote and, you know, vote your biblical values. Um, you know, starting at the top of the ballot all the way down. Vote your biblical values. Get out there. That's a right uh, we encourage in the church. We want you to get out there. Don't sit home. 1 John 4.10 4, says this, in this is love. If you don't have this highlighted in your Bible, this is one of those verses uh, I, I love to be reminded of often. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And how does he demonstrate that love? He demonstrates it in that he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates, he proves his love toward us. How does he do that? Paul says, while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. That, that's, that's the proof of the love of God. Someone has well said that it was the cross, that it was at the cross that man did his worst to God, but God did his best to man. The cross of Jesus Christ, it is the clearest, the fullest, the completest declaration of the love of God. Secondly, through the cross of Christ, the law of God is satisfied. The law of God says in Ezekiel 18.20, the soul who sins shall die. Remember in Genesis, God told Adam and Eve, if you eat of the fruit of this tree, of the knowledge of good and evil, in the day that you eat of that, you shall surely die. That is the law of God. Romans 3.23 says, all of sin, every one of us has fallen short of the glorious standard of God. Again, now if the soul that sins has to die, and if every soul is sin, then it just stands to reason, every soul must die. That's, that's the law of God. Therefore, there's only two options. Either everyone has to die in their sins, or someone has to die for the sins of everyone. Those are the only two options that are on the table. And this is where the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, again, matchless beyond compare. This is where the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ comes in. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he not only died to pay for our sins, he died to fulfill and to satisfy the law of God. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. You and I, we owed a debt we could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. Now you talk about a bargain. That's a sweet deal. Because of his death, we have forgiveness. We have eternal life. Because he took our sin, we can now take hold of his righteousness. Because he died for my sin, I can now die to my sin and live with him forever because of the cross. Finally, through the cross, the life of God is personified. It's only through his physical death that we can receive eternal life. Jesus had to die in order for you and I to live through him. 1 John 4, 9 says this, in this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him.
Again, this is how you can demonstrate, you can prove the love of God. How? Because he sent his son into the world that we might live through him. Jesus died that we might have life. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, and he died for all. Once for all. I think uh, other translations read that. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose. Again, that's our cost in following him. Jesus died that we might live with him, just as 1 Thessalonians 5.10 says, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. If eternal life is Electricity, the cross is the generator, and the Lord Jesus Christ is the conduit through which we receive that wonderful gift. Third, we are to glory in the power demonstrated by the cross. Just as we measure time in uh, B.C. and A.D., we should also measure the crucifixion the same way. Again, in Jesus, in Paul's day, um, Uh, In crucifixion, B.C., it was a symbol that represented, again, shame, sin, weakness, wickedness, death. But crucifixion, A.D., was now a symbol of greatness, of glory, of power, of praise, of forgiveness, of imputed righteousness. Do you realize as Christians we have three enemies, an internal foe called the flesh, an external foe called the world, and an internal foe called the devil, and an infernal foe called the devil. But through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, do you realize we have victory over all three? Through the cross, we have victory over the flesh. Galatians 5.24 says, and those who have crucified, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That is, every day we can nail the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life to the cross, and we can live in victory and in freedom. Through the cross, we have victory over the world. Again, Paul says there in Galatians 6, 14, but may it never be, God forbid, that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Not only do you have salvation through the cross, It's the means by which we have holiness. It's by means which we have sanctification. Jesus died not only that we might rule and reign with him in heaven, but also that we might have the possibility, the potential to live a holy, sanctified life on this earth. Paul said that through the cross, the world has been crucified. The world is dead to him. Now, when Paul speaks of the world, he's not just talking about the physical world. He means the social world. He's talking the intellectual world, the philosophical world, the moral world. Have you ever stopped to think about what this world did to Jesus? I mean, we, we kind of try to go back and relive that, you know, during days of Lent. We try to go back and reflect again on the price, the cost that Jesus paid for you and I. And that's why we need to crucify the world because the best this world can offer you is a sick, shallow substitute for what Jesus Christ can offer you. There was an old holiness preacher whose name was um, uh, Uncle Buddy Robinson and he went one time to see New York City and they took him around and they showed him all of the sounds and the sights um, and he saw the nightlife, he saw the jet setters, he saw Broadway, he saw the party scene 
That night he got back to his hotel room, turned on the light, went over to his bed, knelt down, and he said, thank you, Lord, for letting me see New York City. And most of all, thank you that I didn't see anything I wanted. When Jesus spoke of his crucifixion, he said in John 12, 31, he said, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Ever since the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, Satan has now become a defeated foe, sailing a sinking ship. But notice Paul goes on to say in verse 14, I have been crucified to the world. Now again, crucifixion, what is unique about crucifixion is it is one form of death you cannot inflict upon yourself. You can shoot yourself, you can drown yourself, you can hang yourself, you can stab yourself, you can poison yourself, but you cannot crucify yourself. Crucifixion is something that must be done to you that you must, at least in some way, surrender to or be apprehended of. That's why the cross is, is the key to it all, because it is only in surrendering that you ultimately find victory. It's only in death that you find life. It's only in faith that you find reality. Um, Alexander, and I had to, um, Pastor Mark helped me with this name, Scholznitzen. I, I think I'm hopefully pronouncing that right, or at least closely. Uh, Pastor Mark was telling me he had taken a couple of classes when he was in college and had to read a couple of his books. And anyway, Alexander Solzhenitsyn was a very deeply committed Christian. And for many years, he was a prisoner in a Soviet concentration camp. And he wrote a best-selling book called The Gulag uh, Archipelago. I, I'm not pronouncing that probably right either. Uh, and, but it really recounted uh, and it retold um, his life in the Soviet gulag. And it was a gulag um, that was uh, a prison and it really... Uh, uh, brought them political prisoners and really forced them into a, uh, a, a long, hard life of hard labor. And for years, he had to look forward. Um, all he really had to look forward to was just day after day, day in and day out, of just back-breaking labor and slow starvation. So from sunup to sundown, seven days a week, he worked, he labored out in these very hot fields. One day... Um, he recounted where he just felt like he had literally given up. He felt no purpose in continuing to try to fight through this. He felt as, like, as if his life had really made no ultimate difference uh, to anyone. And so he just laid his shovel down, walked over to a bench, and he just sat down. And he knew the penalty for sitting down on a bench like that was death. And so he fully expected at any moment a guard uh, would, would come by, order him to get up, and when he failed or refused to respond, the guard would just have probably taken his shovel and just had beaten him to death because he had witnessed this many, many times as he worked in the fields. As he's sitting there on that bench and he's waiting uh, for death that he knew was going to come, his head down, he kind of felt this presence over him. Alexander looks up, he thinks it's a guard, and slowly kind of lifts up his head and his eyes to see standing over him was this old man with, with a, a wrinkled, just utterly expressionless face. 
And, and he recognized the man right away because he had been uh, in the same gulag uh, many years, much longer than, than uh, Shulzitsyn had been there. He was just kind of hunched over from all of the backbreaking labor uh, he was forced to do. And, and they never, ever had really communicated or said one word between them because that was absolutely forbidden um, in, in the prison. But this man, this old man, he, he took a stick and at the sand underneath Solzhenitsyn's feet, he drew the sign of the cross. And Alexander Solzhenitsyn said as he looked at the ground and he looked at that symbol of the cross, he said his entire perspective just began to shift. And he began to realize that even though he was only one man against this all-powerful Soviet empire, he also knew that the hope of all mankind rested in that very simple cross. And he knew that the cross that he looked at there represented the greatest power in the entire universe. And because of that, he got back up, picked up his shovel, went back to work. From that moment on, he said, he just continued just trudging forward under the sign of the cross. Well, Shosnitsyn was on to something because when the Soviet Union fell apart in 1991, many statutes of communist leaders were torn down. Outside the former headquarters of the KGB was a statue of the founder of the KGB and people stormed that statue, they toppled that figure and if you go over there to where the former headquarters of the KGB is today, the pedestal upon which that statute stood remains, but what is now on top of that stand is the cross of Christ. We're not to glory in buildings, in budgets, baptisms. We're not to glory personally in prestige, privilege, or positions. But like Paul said, we are to glory in nothing except in the cross of Jesus Christ. We are to glory eternally in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is really one of the ways that we take up our cross daily and follow him. It, it, it is to think upon, as, as we worship tonight, to, to think upon the cross, to reflect upon the price that Jesus paid for you and I. This is one of the ways we take up our cross. The cross has forged the pathway of holiness for us. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you for what the cross represents. We thank you for what the cross symbolizes. We thank you that the cross of Jesus Christ, although 2,000, over 2,000 years ago, that that cross still speaks powerfully to us today. Thank you, Father, that that cross not only speaks of the death of Jesus, of, of us dying to self, to world. We thank you, Father, that the cross continues to speak and to demonstrate the love of God in all its fullness. And Father, I pray as we focus, as we think upon, as we meditate upon the cross of Jesus Christ, I pray, God, that you would continue to reveal your ever-deepening, 
your unconditional, your unbounding love toward us. So, Father, we just ask, Lord, that you would continue to minister the meaning and the power of the cross to our hearts and to our spirits. And, Father, we thank you for all that Jesus did for us through the cross. And, Father, we thank you that the cross still works. There's still power in the cross today for us. And we just thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.